Kia ora everyone, I'm Jacob Anderson and today I have Dr. Rosie Bosworth. Rosie is a future foods and agriculture consultant with specialist knowledge in plant-based and alternative protein systems and new food strategy. Rosie, thanks for joining me. No, uh, not a problem. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, uh, amongst all of the uh, lockdown at the moment, obviously food production is really absolutely critical. And the challenge now for New Zealand is how we start to look at rebuilding certain systems. And we are seeing this rise in plant-based and um, reduction in meat uh, consumption. Um, what are some, why, why, why are we starting to see some of those trends? I think um, that's a multifaceted answer. Um, especially with the younger generation, what we're seeing is a rising, a rising cognizance of the environmental impact that animal agriculture or raising animals for food has on the environment. A lot of um, animal production systems around the world, while New Zealand is pastorally raised, um, a lot of our cows are free ranging and we have beautiful you know, backcountry sheep stations and all sorts. The reality is around the rest of the world, much of the food or animal protein that we consume is grown in feedlot farms or in factory farms, which comes with a huge environmental cost, not only in terms of the deforestation to grow crops to feed these animals, but also in terms of the CO2 or the, the emissions and the methane runoff and all, 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 the, all the runoff and um, that comes off um, these plots of land um, due to animal consumption. Um, that's all animal production, I should say. But so the environmental um, aspect is one. Though we do have a rising um, cohort of consumers, particularly young consumers that are steering away from animals for their own um, natural health. Um, under the belief that um, plant-based proteins or alternative protein consumption is better for them, heart disease, um, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, all sorts that come with pro highly processed animal meat. Um, and then we also have the ethical um, concern of, is it is it um, now considered okay to eat an animal when we have or eat and kill an animal when we have alternative means to produce meat um, or produce proteins that are still um, delicious to the taste so lots of different angles that are coming into play now that are really pushing forward this this new revolution of, of alternative proteins yeah as as we um kind of dip into some of those um plant-based and cultured proteins perhaps can you just quickly explain to those listening who may not be familiar with all of the different terms uh, what uh, plant-based proteins are and, and then what the, the cultured proteins are? Yeah, sure. Um, so what we often hear about is plant-based protein and we hear about a lot, lot about that, but there is also there's a couple of different streams of alternative proteins coming uh, online. As you mentioned, cultured proteins, and also there's microproteins or fermented proteins. And I'll, I'll just quickly talk through all of them because they're all very different, um, and they also have a different impact on your health and or the environment and, and means of production and all that that 
whole experiential factor that you get at the end of it. So, so we've seen for many years plant-based proteins in, in various forms um, or plant-based um, or meat analogs. And back in the day, um, I mean, it goes without saying that these are, these are produced from plants or plant proteins. So um, soy meat for it or soy, soy, for example, is a very sort of rudimentary um, type of plant-based protein. But what we're seeing now is this incredibly um, sophisticated type of plant-based proteins coming on the market where companies and startups such as Impossible Foods or Beyond Meat are using, not animal proteins, plant proteins, an, an array of them that could be pea protein, it could be soy protein, um, fava bean, potato starch, or, or whatever the plant is that, that has a high protein content. And they're producing animal, well, animal meat analogs that have the same taste and sensory experience of animal meat. So instead of, say, for example, a soy, you know, you might have some soy in your Thai, your, your, your pad Thai or whatever, um, which, which tastes and feels and doesn't give you the experience at all of meat. These new plant-based proteins are mimicking meat so that they, they smell like meat when they're cooked, they bleed like meat when they're cooked, and they're highly complex in terms of the technologies being used to enable these plants and the proteins used to produce them. And as, as more and more investment goes on in the space, these plant-based proteins are becoming more and more sophisticated and more and more analogous to meat um, to the average consumer. Some, some people would do the blind tasting between a, a burger, a regular hamburger made with animal meat, and then a, a regular plant-based impossible burger and some of them can't even tell the difference anymore and, and it's the goal of that company to make sure that in blind tastings that the no consumer around the world will be able to tell the difference um, between the two in terms of that experiential and taste factor um, so that's plant proteins there's lots of companies sprouting up so to speak you know all over the world including New Zealand that are doing that but then we also have this new um, wave of alternative proteins or meats on the market called cultured meats which also have another word, um, cell-based meats or cellular agriculture. And this has got nothing to do with plants. Um, this is actually harvesting animal cells. So we might take a swab of cells from an animal, the cow, for example, take the DNA, and we're going to culture that same DNA, the, the muscle tissues, the fat, the lipids, and all sorts, and grow that um, inside a fermentation facilities without the cow as the, the technology. So we're, we're bypassing the cow as that piece of technology to grow this meat. Um, and we, we, we're going straight to the end result, which is um, feeding these animal cells safely some what we call media or food or a soupy broth of nutrients, amino acids and sugars and starches, which is essentially when it comes down to what a cow eats um if it eats grass or, or corn or whatever the, the feedstock is that it's being fed and we're feeding that outside of the cow in in a very controlled and hygienic um, environment where the same animal muscles and and proteins and fats are, are growing so in result you have the same dna structure the same DNA, the same end result of the a cow's meat but you don't have the cow having to produce it and that's, yeah, and that's what we're calling cultured meat. And I think, I think the best analogy to that probably at the moment is how we brew beer, isn't it? 
Yeah, exactly. Because um, people are, you know, a little bit weirded out by the whole, you know, quote unquote lab growing meat. They think it's a little bit too sci-fi and not safe or it's a lot of people, there's a lot of confusion around whether or not cultured meat is GM or whatnot. But it is, it's essentially just using those cells um, and, and, use it and, and fermenting these cells in beer brewery type situations. And we've and we fermented food for many years. Um, millennia so um, there's nothing really different except for the in the end product in this is meat rather than say cheese or beer or bread or whatever else that we choose to ferment so um, that's that's the best way to use it is you know fermenting it like much like a beer brewery and all of the um, all of these techniques I think some of them are using genetic technologies and, and some of the plant-based um, proteins aren't, but why, if, if we can create um, the same molecular structure as we can with the real meats, why do you think there's still this um, fear or this reluctance from some consumers to kind of take on some of these products? Uh, I think that's a human psyche or sort of a cultural issue around what humans are used to um especially when it comes to food you're a bit you know we're used to food being quote unquote natural and knowing its origins and and not being fearful of what we eat and having a little bit of trust in that whole system and and having it produced by i guess the guys in the quote unquote white coats in the lab takes away that i guess natural provincial story that you have with it, the the trust that you know the local grower or, or that in fact it is safe um, because this has never been done before. So it's a kind of like a human experiment, to, you know, in many people's minds. Um, but, but we don't see that behavior as being unique to just meat or, or cultured foods or new food production. This, this whole, you know, technology, inter, you know, quote unquote, unf interfering with our, our traditional means of, of doing things. Um, we've always had pushback. Um, horse, look at the horse and cart. There was a huge amount of pushback when it came to um, the combustion car engine coming on market. And oh gosh, you know, what's this going? You know, this is going to be dangerous. How how, how are we going to police this? This is going to be terrible for humanity. Taking away the horse and cart, and you see it with the typewriter, and you see it with all sorts of um, modern technologies that have come on board and displaced old technologies. It's just that humans are a little bit reluctant to change. And until you start seeing the efficiency gains and just how much more useful, or in this, in this case, tasty and just as healthy and safe, this, the, these new alternatives are, humans just take some time to, to warm to a new system. Yeah, I think IVF is, is another good example. Uh, you know, 40 years ago when IVF first came out, people thought it would be completely insane to be uh, making babies in, in test tubes. Um, those, those efficiency gains that, that you mentioned is, is one of the real game changers when it comes to these products. If we can use less land, less water, and have less emissions, it seems like it's a no-brainer, really, but we are still getting that that pushback um, from some of the traditional um, food producers, but the markets are showing there's this real increase in demand and huge investment in, the, in, in a lot of these um, companies. 
what what do, what sort of projections or, or what are the markets kind of suggesting around the growth of of these products? Um, there's been some work done around. Well, there's been a lot of market research that suggests that most, the majority of millennials and or um, Gen Zs, especially, they are the cohort that are younger than the millennials. Um, uh, much more in preference of eating a plant-based or alternative protein than the um, traditional alternative, um, particularly should it require slaughter. Um, and so as as more money and more innovation comes into these products, you'll see a, more, a larger and larger or faster and faster adoption of these products with the younger generation. But there's been some research showing that um, these new products may displace an animal agriculture um, should the technology come online all right and be able to scale for the amount of for the pot for the masses to actually produce it to the, for the masses but it could displace dairy and, and traditional um, animal agricultural products within you know short, a time period as short as five to ten years time that seems like um, unbelievable right now to think oh the cow or maybe cow's milk may be displaced in five years but um, or at least commodity um, dairy um, powder but you just see the ramp up in terms of the adoption of, say, for example, the smartphone or the iPhone, just how quickly that curve um, started its its vertical hike upwards, um, that the possibilities are also there with technology development going um, as it is at the moment for, for meat, especially as more and more people and companies start to see those efficiency gains and the... Um, you know, potential health and, and um, health benefits of that too. So it, it, it could definitely come online sooner rather than later. One of, I think one of the arguments that we would hear that farmers would say to, to kind of counter that is we see this growing middle class in China and India that are increasing their um, consumption of uh, meat and dairy products. How does, the, how does that um, growth in the middle class in China and India with production from companies like New Zealand um, compare with this kind of growth in these new plant-based products? Is it, is it a question of um, both um, products continuing and letting the market decide, or do you think there will be um, some kind of uh, generational um, consumption difference between those two? I think the market will ultimately decide. Um, and I think what that will come down to is the t how efficiently and cost effective the technology that has been developed um, comes online and undercuts existing existing farm um, farm technology and, and animal agricultural products. Because a lot of the forecasts are suggesting that the cost of meat, um, fermented meat or cell-based meat, will, will come and undercut very significantly the cost of, say, um, traditionally raised animal products such as those grown in New Zealand. And what that, what that means is that there may be a, a taste and a preference for New Zealand meat and, and New Zealand um, meat and beef and lamb and dairy is no doubt, you know, amongst the best in the world. That's not the argument. The argument is that if this technology comes online and is able to absolutely um, competitively undercut, undercut existing cost structures of meat production, 
in the middle class in China and India, if they have, a, you know, if they're given two products, um, the taste is great, the experience of cooking it's great, the health benefits are great, and one of them's um, far cheaper but also significantly better for the environment, then it, it kind of is just a fait accompli um, in terms of what, what choice the, the consumer is going to make, particularly with the younger ones. Of course, you're going to get... Um, you're going to get older, older generations wanting that beautiful piece of T-bone steak or um, scotch fillet or, or whatever, or beautiful leg of New Zealand lamb. Of course, that, that those preferences aren't going to die out tomorrow. But what you'll see is that the cost of production for animal farms will be so much more than um, the cost of production for these other um, alternative protein companies that the price differentials will be so compelling that consumers will more quickly not want to have to pay 10 times more for a regular bit of meat um, raised from an animal. Um, and then, and then, then it just becomes okay. Um, slightly an almost game over situation. A bit like the, the video stores trying to compete with Netflix in the end. In the end. Yeah. Um, particularly if Netflix was say, you know, it's, it's $10, it's 10 cents. Um, t for example, I'm not saying this is the model that Netflix uses, but uh, 10 cents to watch a, um, a movie on Netflix versus $10 to get the new release DVD, then what, what are you going to do? Um, and that's, that's the kind of argument that some of the research coming out is showing, that the costs in production will be so compelling that um, regular animal agriculture will only be but a niche industry very so, niche that um, economies like New Zealand can't afford to just hedge their bets, bets on, on living off a niche economy. So, so effectively we would have uh, New Zealand making uh, really uh, premium grass-fed quality cuts of meat and higher-end uh, dairy products, but we would need to start looking at diversifying the way we produce food as well and not relying on this mass produced kind of dairy model that we that we currently have absolutely and that you look you know what that's not necessarily a bad thing um, um our traditional industries will be wrapped around highly sophisticated traceability and provenance technology um, they will have an incredible story to tell with that to command those premiums they will offset some of the difference in the cost productions but that is it will essentially push our industries not just the food industry but new zealand in general to think well where else can we use our our smarts and our innovation and where can we channel our human resources and technological nows into other industries where we can um have a seat at the table um so that that becomes a broader i guess socio-economic question where where do we put our talents going forward is that yes we can produce incredible food but but is it better that we actually, um, I guess, diversify the portfolio and start to have our younger generation focus on other, other um, industries or new incoming industries where we can use that technology and uh, biotech and science expertise into whole new industries that we can play a, game, play a role in? One of, the, one of the challenges we have in New Zealand um, in this space, of course, is our genetic technology laws are non-existent or, or very restrictive. Um, so, that, and that, that kind of opens up a question for a whole range of other issues, but how far can New Zealand 
survive if we don't start to look at different genetic technology laws with some of these um, with these uh, new cultured meats or cultured uh, proteins? Well, I mean, it's a hard it's a hard one to accurately pinpoint just how long. But if you think about agriculture and just what a percentage of the economy that it is right now and what what percentage of that is really premium agriculture versus, say, commodity dairy and processing cuts um, or processing meat for within the red meat sector, um, it may be 10, 10 years before we've got um, we've got time to pivot those those parts of the economy or those parts of those industry sectors. Um, it could be it could be a bit a bit longer for premium milk, premium dairy, and beef and lamb. But I wouldn't I wouldn't expect it to be any longer than ten years for commodity um, commodity meats. So that gives us a little bit of breathing space to either really tech up those industries so that they can transition some of their um, skill base towards these, to, towards playing in both, which a lot of meat companies and dairy companies are already doing, such as Danone, Cargill, Tyson's Meat um, around the world, um, Nestle. They're all investing in these alternative proteins. Um, they see the writing on the wall and, you know, they might say that it's um, – it's because they think it's they're doing best by the environment, but they're looking at the bottom line, and they're saying um, if these cost predictions are true, then why would you play in an expensive, outdated system? Um, so yeah, not not a huge amount of time to play, but we do in my mind if we act swiftly, we we do have a bit of time, and this isn't to be doomsday because looking what looking at what's happened with covid um we're not seeing a whole lot of tofu fly off the shelf we're seeing a lot of um meat and dairy and milk products fly off the shelf so there's clearly a market for traditional meats and, and proteins right now um just just by looking at how how quickly people are stockpiling on them um but that it would be negligent i would say in the least to to not be thinking about new industries or how to pivot the existing ones a lot of, I think, a lot of farmers or, or people invested in um, in uh, traditional food production would see this sort of thing as a threat. But instead, we need to look at the opportunity side of it and, and how um, this can help diversify New Zealand and help um, help support them to kind of transition out to reduce that risk. How how do how do we sort of help guide that pathway or help them understand the the challenges ahead. I think what is really necessary is to have really open conversations with farmers, particularly the younger farmers. Um, great workshopping, education, educative se education sessions where we enlighten them around what's happening around the world. A lot of farmers in New Zealand, they rely on their industry bodies to provide them with information. But often that information is, is not always, um, I guess, telling the full story as to what's happening in the market. Um, so independent education around market um, insights and also how, how STEM technology, so science, technology, engineering and math can be used 
um, and implied by these farmers, particularly for the new generations, so that they that um, they can play a role in it and let the farmers decide for themselves what they want to do. Um, do they want to retire some of this land back to forestry or turn it into native reserve and and start to tinker? Or I mean, tinker is not the word I'd like to use really, but start to really play a great role in developing some t food processing technologies for these new foods or do they do they see they have a safe future by ignoring these new technologies and market trends and take it take it to the farmers um, provide open transparent dialogue with them and provide them with the tools and the education they need to make that decision themselves um, and also potentially you know have government and um, industry bodies helping them with that transition um, or providing them with a soft you know a soft landing so to speak should they should they decide to to switch systems yeah I, you know after having this conversation with you I'd always thought that maybe in about 40 years the next generation would have absolutely no interest in um, in any form of animal agriculture but but now I feel like it might actually be a little bit sooner than that, where the the next generation just won't have won't, won't want anything to do with uh, with animal agriculture, just because the opportunities and the cost and the uh, environmental impact will just be so much less. Yeah, it will be it will be considered Neolithic, um, the old system when when all these technologies come online in a at a mass scale and in a competitive level. Um, it'll just become a bit weird for the younger generation to think, Daddy or Granddad, did you did you actually kill an animal? Did you raise it, feed it all that stock, take up all that land and um, did it use all those environmental resources just so you could get a, a hunk of meat off it and you killed it in the process? That will become a really Neolithic concept to, to generations that will be coming online. Um, and I don't think that will be a 40 year as you say, a 40-year window, I think it'll be much closer. Let's just let, look 10 years ago where we were with the iPhone and look how it's revolutionised the world in terms of smart technology now. Um, I was just looking at um, a friend was on WhatsApp with me last night sending me things from 20, 25 years ago when I was writing high school let letters to her and she, um, we were writing and sending letters to each other, which seems like archaic these days um i know my partner's kids would never even think about doing that that sort of stuff so and that's only in the period of 20 you know 25 years to think about just how quickly technology is accelerating now to make that time or that window of time even smaller yeah no it's um it's been a real eye-opener so thank you so much um for for taking the time today rosie um it's uh it's it's really interesting to watch this space and I think uh, over the coming years um, it's going to be uh, really such a huge transformation on how we view food. Um, so thank you again. Um, not a problem, Jacob. Not a problem at all.